I'm right there with you. He is good. He is good all the time. I bless his name. And today the Lord has spoken to me to speak to you. And we're going to open up in the book of Matthew today. But we're going to ask the Lord to be with us. Um, I'm going to be speaking to you today on bearing fruit in his season. Bearing fruit in his season. We're going to ask the Lord to not only touch my heart and my mouth and my mind, but also yours as well. We want the Lord to minister to us today. I don't want to waste one minute of just diving into God's word and what he has to say. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us. We bless your name, Jesus. I don't know where I would be without you, but Lord, I am so grateful today. I come with a heart of gratefulness for what you have done and for what you are going to do. I pray, Lord, that you would just help each one of us, Lord, to receive what you have to say to us today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read it in your hearing. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. Thanks, babe. And great, it's good to have Chelsea today, to have Chelsea home. Thank you for being here. I think she came for her dad, but I'm still glad that I get to join with it. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, and we know what brings roots, right? It's the wind. We talked about that. That puts our roots deep. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some 30-fold. Now, I believe that we can draw many observations from this passage. And I'm going to touch on some of those this morning. But we are going to focus primarily on the good ground. But to me, it's a starting, startling realization that when the sower went out and sowed the seed, that according to this passage of Scripture... Only one-fourth of that seed is going to fall on good ground. Now, depending on the way that you look at that, you'll either feel encouraged or discouraged. You can be encouraged because I understand that the efforts that I have made that seem to be going nowhere, I can draw on this principle in God's Word that says, Jesus himself said, there is going to be some positive results from the seed I sow and the seed you sow. And I can be discouraged because there are not better odds. Lord, couldn't you have said that 50% would fall on good ground? 
But the principle in his word says that there are a lot of different places that this seed is going to fall. And there's four types of soil that is represented. And that soil represents our response to God's message. The unfruitfulness of the different soils, let me tell you, this was not due to bad seed. And it wasn't even due to an unskillful unskillful sower. The same farmer planted the same seed throughout with the same gracious design. The variableness in the soil is not in the seed, which is the word of God. People respond differently because they're in different states of readiness. You know, we can try and force feed people, but if they're not in a place that they're ready to receive, that soil is not going to bring forth fruit. Now, we see different instances, and the first one being that it says that some are hardened. It fell by the wayside, fell off the pathway, And we see, and I said, I'm just going to mention these briefly, and then we are headed to the good ground. There are people who have allowed bitterness and unforgiveness to harden their hearts. And I would say to you this, that what begins many times as walls that we build to protect us from hurt and pain hardens us from God as well. Those defenses that I put up, yeah, they may protect my heart, but they also keep the king of kings from doing his work in us. We have to be willing to put ourselves in a position that we're vulnerable. And it's been said before that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it will hurt the other person. Unforgiveness hurts me. At the least, it produces a hardened exterior, but at the worst, it prevents me from receiving God's forgiveness. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's not worth it. To hold bitterness and unforgiveness. Yes, there are painful times and things that people have experienced. But when I break open that part of me that says, yes, I've been hurt, but I give it to you, Lord. And I open myself up and I forgive. Unforgiveness can cause that hard, stony areas. Another area is that people are shallow. And I would present to you that's people that are governed by their feelings. They never put roots down and become grounded. I'm going to tell you a truth that has been said over and over again, but we can't express it enough. Your feelings lie to you. Our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful, and it will tell us things about ourselves, about others, that is not true. And when that happens, we are described in Ephesians. Ephesians 4.14, it says, we're like infants 
tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. As referenced a couple of weeks ago, when the winds of adversity come and we continue to hold fast to our faith and we develop roots that go deep and create an incredibly strong relationship that takes us through the storm and through the fire and through the desert times and we come out with our faith intact, that's when roots go down. And so when those winds come and when adversity comes, we know that it is the word of God that is going to keep us and hold us. His word has kept me on my feet. His word has washed me and cleansed me. There's others that are contaminated by distracting worries, the thorny ground. We all know life happens. And we all can feel overwhelmed. If you don't, then call me because I'm going to share some of my stuff with you because we all get to that place where it just seems like, Lord, I, I, I don't even know what to do next. I don't even know where to start. And we can come not only from anxieties and pressures, and, but drives and ambitions can get us distracted. We can become consumed by our own goals. The desire to succeed can choke out eternal things. We can be enticed by power and riches and ambition and pleasures and fame. Moses called it enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. The lure and pull of the temporal, the pleasure of sin, chokes out the seed of God's word in our lives. And we have to guard against those things, all three of those areas that I have just mentioned. But that's not where I want to dwell today. I want to dwell today on the fact that the scripture said that one-fourth of the seed would fall on good ground. People who are receptive and open to the word of God. I told you that when I come into his presence, I don't ever want to be guilty of just sitting and waiting for him to find me, but I want to be always reaching and seeking and looking for him because the scripture says that if I seek for him, I will find him. It's obvious that Jesus lists a variety of ground or soil and all four indicate varying responses to the word of God. But today, I want to look at Matthew 13, 23, and it says, The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word. And pay attention to this, because this is where we're going to dwell today. And produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. I would submit to you today that we're not even talking about when we get distracted, when we get hardened, or when we're shallow. But I am talking about when the seed of God, His Word, has come into good ground in our life. I want to say that frustration with ourselves and others can arise in the soil of good ground. Just because you have allowed the seed of God's Word to impact and change your life does not remove you from this earthly plane and allow you to levitate above we mere mortals. 
we still experience frustration in ourselves. Have you asked yourself before, why am I, why am I not accomplishing more? Why haven't I learned to get through this? Why have I learned to never just let these things go and go forward? Why can't I rise above the things that seem to constantly hold myself back? I should be further along this than this. I'm moving at a snail's pace. And many times those frustrations with ourselves feed into frustrations with others. Because we're trying to, in our developing people and, and walking alongside people, even our children or those that we are, feel responsible to, that we're trying to mentor and mold and shape and bring them into relationship with Jesus Christ. And we start feeling frustrated because we feel like, what is wrong with us? Because they should be further along than they are. What am I doing wrong? And what in the world is the matter with them? I'm giving them good stuff. And they're just not moving forward. And all of our help and all of our effort that we put into these people and the situations seemingly are not making any headway. So let's talk about those frustrations. This parable that we just talked about should encourage those of you who are spiritual farmers. Those who teach, preach, and seek to lead others to the Lord. And I hope that you realize that he said in Acts 1-8 that when you receive this power, it's so that you can be witnesses. And the most powerful witness you will be is with your life. We can all say a lot of things, but what we do speaks to the people around us. I just have to share something with you. Happened to me yesterday. It's one of those times when you know, Lord, Jesus, Chelsea always says, Jesus, be a fence. I was at the, I was taking my cardboard and plastic and all that good stuff to the uh, recycling deal. And in the midst of that, now I'd pulled up, I got to preface a story. I didn't stop right in the middle. I'd pulled up and I was putting things in there. And when I got into the car, I had a text that was very disturbing and so I was trying to answer it. I was trying. Well, I look up from answering this text, and there's a man standing right at the window. And he is red-faced, and he is screaming. I can't hear what he's saying because my radio was on, but I knew he was not happy with me. And I, so I, I became aware of my circumstances, and I saw that he was pulled up behind me. And so I rolled down my window because I assumed that he was angry because I was not moving. And that was the case. But, I mean, he just, I said, I am so sorry, sir, but that didn't make a dent. I mean, he was screaming at me and telling me, I need room out here. And... Those are those times where you know that the power of the Holy Ghost gives you the strength to say, and I probably shouldn't have said this, but I did. I said, thank you for being so kind, sir. Have a good day. 
and I pulled out. But I wanted to say a lot more. I had many things that were rolling up inside of me. But the Lord helps us. He helps us. And we have to understand that we cannot be frustrated or discouraged if we don't always see instantaneous results. This is a journey. This is a process. We don't get there overnight, and the people's lives that we touch don't get there overnight. But the Scripture says that the seed is good, and the ground is good, and it may not be moving as fast or making the process that you want to see, but you have to understand that the Lord is the one that named it and said, It is good ground if you are in the process. Belief can't be forced to follow a mathematical formula. Okay, I've witnessed to four people, so the fourth one, that one, okay, no, that's not the way it works. We put the seed out there. We invest in people's lives. We invest in the kingdom of God, and we leave the harvest up to him. The farmer sowed good seed, but not all the seed sprouted. We have to understand that it is a miracle of God's Holy Spirit that uses you to produce in Christ. So what about the seed that did sprout, the good ground that yields fruit? Frustrations do not necessarily end because the seed falls on good ground. And I am speaking of those frustrations that say, you know what? I did what I knew to do. I'm doing what I know to do. And I feel like that I am standing in place. And the scripture speaks to you and says, when you have done all you can do to stand, what are you supposed to do? Stand. Stand firm and fast in the word of God, knowing that what you put into the ground will come up. There is a law of harvest that says he will bring to fruition what you are sowing. There's Bible support for that. What does the Bible teach about all who hear and receive the word of God and bearing fruit? In John 15, 8, Jesus said, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. In Colossians 1, 6, it says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You may plant things that you never see come up, but you have to have faith and trust that what you put into the ground, in good ground, God will bring the increase. I heard a story just last week about a lady who had been teaching at a school, and she said that she just at the end of the year, she took the time and she wrote these little notes to each one of her students, and she gave it to them. And she said years later, she was walking in a mall, and this lady, it was a lady then, said, oh, Mrs. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so. And she said, I was married by then. She said it kind of took me aback because she said it was my um, name, my maiden name. 
And she was looking and trying to figure out who the girl is. And the girl said, oh, Miss So-and-So, you were my best favorite teacher of all times. She said, you changed and impacted my life. And this pastor's wife that was telling the story said, wow. I, I mean, she said, I didn't even realize there was no outward sign that I had done anything in that child's life. And that girl says, oh, let me show you something. She starts digging around her purse. And mind you, this is like 10 years later. And she pulls out of her wallet this little faded, crumpled, wrinkled note. And she said, you said I had more in me than I realized, that I was a winner and I could do something great. And I never forgot that and I believed it and it changed my life. I am telling you that sowing is going to have a harvest. There's two things about the gospel. It's universal. It's for all people in all times and all places. And the second law is that this that is, hard, is put into the ground will produce fruit. The gospel transforms you and continues to produce fruit in those who continue to walk in faith and obedience. As a tree bears fruit and grows in size, the gospel produces spiritual fruit in a believer's lives. Colossians 1, 9 through 10 says, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will learn, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. I'm telling you that when you receive the power of God in your life, and you open up and you begin to receive what his word has to say. I'm telling you that fruit includes the fruit of the spirit. How will we know that you have God's word in your life? Because you will manifest the fruit of who he is. So what is that fruit? Galatians 5, and 23 says, The fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. I want you to notice that it says the fruit of the Spirit. It does not say the fruits of the Spirit. You can't pick and choose, well, I've got this fruit. I'm, I'm like a really lovey person, but I have no patience whatsoever. Oh, I've got this fruit. No, it's the fruit of the spirit that begins all of it to manifest itself some of that fruit needs more cultivation and God will provide that hence trials and struggles and things that we go through because he's developing in us the people of God that we need to be and it goes on in verse 24 and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affection and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, 
let us also walk in the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I want to walk in the Spirit. Whether I'm at the recycling center being spewed all kinds of things or whether I have people giving accolades, it doesn't matter. I want the fruit of the Spirit to be in me and I want to walk in the Spirit. Not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that is a struggle. But when we are frustrated with ourselves, I want you to remember that God said it is good ground. Even when I falter and fail, it is good ground. Philippians 1.11, it also speaks of the fruit of righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. True spiritual knowledge causes us to bear fruit and produce good works and grow further in the knowledge of God's will. We're all in God's vineyard. And he produces the fruit that he has designed for us to yield. And our job, we have one job. And that is to walk in obedience and faithfulness. That's a mouthful. Obedience and faithfulness. Faithfulness that says... I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't feel appreciated, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't feel like God even knows where I am, but I'm putting one foot in front of the other because that's faithfulness. And the scripture says that pleases God. Our job is to walk in obedience and faithfulness and his job is to determine the yield or capacity of our fruit bearing. So Matthew 13, 23, I'm going back to that because it says, He who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. We have to understand as believers that within the good ground, there are three different examples of productivity. Do we all want the hundredfold? Absolutely. But is that going to describe all of us? According to Scripture, it's not. It says it's all good ground, and my capacity may be thirtyfold. Your capacity may be a hundredfold. I have to leave that up to God. Because he has no rebuke for the 30 or the 60. He said it was all good. It was all good ground. Some good ground just produced more than others did. In the eyes of Jesus, and frankly, that's all that really matters, in the eyes of Jesus, all persons who invest their full gifts and their abilities, Jesus says, you are worthy of equal commendation. Because from these different portions of fruit produced by the good ground, all sound and growing believers are not equally fruitful. Now notice what he says, all sound and growing believers 
So where are you? Are you in the place where, yes, I am in good ground. I have received the word of God. I'm stepping forward in faith in what I believe he has called me to do. Do I get frustrated because I am in this human body and I make mistakes and I don't always do it like I want to do it? And worse than that, we start comparing ourselves to others. Well, you know, I see this a lot, not in a spiritual realm, but in a physical realm, that Young marrieds, they get married, and they look at where their parents are in life and what they have, and they think they should have that right now. Well, bless God, your parents worked and sacrificed and struggled and got to the place they are, and you're going to have your own journey You're not afforded that just because you're a Mr. and Mrs. And bless God, that's what you get when you get married. Oh, no. There is a path that every one of us have to trot. And that happens in the spirit. We see people that have sown and watered and planted and they have given and they have struggled and they've come through. And we say, why aren't I there? You have got to be patient with the process, understanding that we all hear, we all understand, and we're all bringing forth fruit, but we don't always bring forth fruit in the same degrees. So why the different degrees? Well, I'm going to submit to you that it's the difference in people's giftings and their abilities. Now, you remember when Jesus gave the talents To one he gave ten, to one he gave five, to one he gave one. They were all his servants. He loved all of them. The problem was not that the guy only had one talent. The problem is that the guy didn't do anything with that one talent. When we understand that we are increasing according to how God has gifted us. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to make a disclaimer right here. I understand that there are situations and circumstances that keep us from opportunities. We get in different places, and I'm going to touch on that a little bit more, in life that make a difference in what we're able to do. And understanding this does not excuse any of us from believing or expecting our fruit production to increase. If you just say, well, I'm just a one-talented person and I can't really do anything, and so I'm just going to leave it to those people that can do these things, no, we need what God has put in your life and you need to be willing to give it to him and let him increase it. You give it, you sow it, and you leave the results up to him. That increase of the fruit could very well be us still reaching towards our capacity, whatever that may be. If I have not reached my capacity, then there is always reason for me to believe that there is a harvest that is coming. Our job, I said it before, is to be faithful and obedient, and we can expect an increase of fruit. 
But the objective is not for us to determine if we and the others around us are 30, 60, or 100-fold fruit. Whatever God says my capacity is, that's what I'm going for. Then I'm going to keep reaching. I'm going to keep going with what he has given me. It's for him to determine. I am saying that our gifting and abilities will determine our capacity. And we can get disheartened about that and think, I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. That's what I want more than anything. You have to be content in where, what God has given you. But don't be content to sit there with it. Grow it. Sow it. Let God have it. Give it to him. And you will be amazed at what he will do with what you give to him. I'm not concerned so much about that we've reached our capacity. I'd just like to know, is there anybody here that has reached your capacity? Just go ahead and raise your hand. My hand is not up. Life is so vast and there's so much to do and so much to explore that even the life in the spirit that's available to us, I do not believe that we have even tapped the beginning of what God wants to do in us and through us. I'm not so concerned that any of us are getting close to reaching our full potential. But let's embrace and value the degree of fruitfulness in our own lives as well as others. You know what? You know what I, my goal is? I want to put into people and produce in younger people that they will take my job and do it better. I'm not going to hold on to it and say, well, that's not the way we've always done it, and they're not going to grip it, get it out of my hands. No, I believe that God sends in people underneath us that we put into them what we have, and they stand on that foundation, and they grow, and they're better, and then they do the same thing to the next generation, and it comes back to your faithfulness and your obedience to what God called you to do. Another thing we have to be careful is don't project your gifts on someone else. You know what? You're going to feel impassioned. You're going to feel like the world will stop if somebody doesn't do this. But don't expect the person beside you to feel the same way about the same thing. They're not going to hell because they don't feel the same passion for the same things that you do. We're a body. God puts different abilities and desires and designs upon each of us. And don't place the expectation of their gift on you. You know, somebody may be sharing what they have a gift and may be crying and a passion for and you don't feel anything about it. You're like, that sounds like where you would go if you were bad. Because it's not your gifting. It's not what God has given you a passion for. But understanding that, we encourage and say, go for it. I'm so glad somebody's doing something in that area. And then you move on and understand, I've got an area of growth as well. And that's up to me to do that. 
2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, Scripture says if you compare yourself, you're not wise. There is only one yardstick that I am comparing myself, and that's to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I have a long way to go to be like the Lord. And I hope you get there. I hope you're a hundredfold. I hope you're sixtyfold. But you know what? Bear with me if I'm the thirtyfold, because we're a body that is working together to make it and to present ourselves unto the Lord. When you compare it's likely superiority or a lot of times it's inferiority. And we just say, well, we're all the same. We have to be the same. We have, it, no, 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 no. God has a design for each and every one of you. And it doesn't look like the other person beside you. It's not how much you compare with others, but it's how fully you are using the resources that you've been given. What are you doing with what you have? Well, Sister Jean, I can't lead in worship, and I can't preach, and I can't play the piano, and I can't, I can't. Why don't you start saying what you can do and say, God, where do you want to use this? What do you want to do with it? There are seasons and there are circumstances, just like there's seasons in nature, you know, our ginkgo tree in our front yard is the first tree. No, sorry, said that backwards. It's the last tree to lose its leaves, and it's the last tree to get its leaves. But just because our little, our ginkgo, it's not so little anymore, our big ginkgo doesn't get its leaves as fast as Gary's tree, we're not going to chop it down. Bless God, he's already got leaves on his. And ours should have leaves. Go cut that tree down. No, it has a season. It has a time when it's going to be fruitful. And just as those seasons are in nature and the physical body and in your life's works, there are also spiritual seasons. And within the good ground, we have varying capacities of fruit in the seasons. Some plants, some branches and trees have different fruit capacity in different years or seasons. Some produce only every other year. It's amazing that just the vastness of how many different times and seasons that things produce. So I'm not suggesting to you that there won't be times or seasons in your life that fruitfulness will vary. And that is the beautiful thing about being part of a kingdom. Because each one of us are going to experience times of plowing and sowing and harvesting. And it's important to remember that every cycle of production is often preceded by a dormant season. Does dormancy mean I'm backslid? No, but it better mean that in that time of dormancy that I'm growing and I'm learning. I may not be producing, but I'm not wasting this time. That I'm saying, God, what are you teaching me in this time? What are you showing to me in this time? There are times when it seems nothing is happening and you are stripped bare 
or buried in isolation and forgotten. It may come in times of sickness or death or disappointment or rejection. But I want to tell you that every bleak winter carries with it the promise that there is a spring that is coming. Remember that he who began the work in you is able to complete it. The important thing is don't drop out of the process before what he has envisioned comes to pass. God determines the season, amen? But guess what? You and your reaction to the season is your responsibility. We often resist the circumstances that God says, you know what, I see this and I, I want to do this in them, but I see this that's got to be worked on. And we're like, I don't want that way, Lord. I don't want that suffering. I, I, I don't want that. I don't want that. But he says it's necessary to what I see, what's going to come up in you. This fruitfulness has got to be cultivated. Make full use of the present present season that you're in at this time don't waste times of growth wishing you were someone else somewhere else doing something else God made you as you are to use you as he planned he has a design when we anticipate fruit we have to understand the process can we not see a parallel in another parable by Jesus of the stewards, and I, I spoke of that, the one he gave five talents, another two, another one, to each according to his own ability. Christianity is not an individual sport. Thank God. It's a team effort. Yes, it is true. We must all work out our own salvation. And yes, we are all going to stand before the judgment seat of God but we are a part of a church of a loving God. And with one another, we grow and we evangelize and we encourage and we're accountable to each other. And the conclusion is this, that we need one another. I am incomplete without you. God puts you in my life and he put me in your life. We are the body of Christ. And when we understand that we work as a living organism, and yes, there may be a season where this person can't do what they always did. But you know what? We leave that up to God. We give it to God, what we have, what I have available right now. And I believe in the last day when the books are open, you are going to see that your part in this was a bigger picture, a bigger picture than you realized. Let's see. Salem, Illinois, you cleaned the church so that people could come and receive God and not be distracted by things that were dirty. And you gave as unto me. You prayed and you fasted. People didn't even know the hours that you prayed and the meals that you went without. You gave, came faithfully and you received the offering. And you came faithfully and you counted the people that were there. And you gave us the ability to know who we're reaching and who is missing and who is not there. You came and you paid the bills so that we could keep working and growing. You encouraged those who were discouraged. 
You gave quietly and you gave faithfully and your money put in seed that grew and sprouted. You greeted people who came through the doors and made them feel important and let them know that you're glad they were there. You ministered to those in the nursing homes and in the jails. You sent cards that nobody else knew about. You brought food to the evangelist. You've picked up people and brought them to church. You turned on the lights. You adjusted the heat, adjusted the air. You set up the chairs. You played and you sang. You taught children. You fixed breakfast. I believe that when we do those things as unto the Lord, it's as though we are giving a cup of water to Jesus Christ in his name. Don't be disparaging of the small things that you think it doesn't really matter. Oh, yes, it matters. We know that God's economy is different than ours. He sees things that are differently. Why do you think he stopped all the disciples and said, look at this woman? She gave the most. They said, are you nuts? I saw people drop $500 in the offering. She gave a half of a penny, Lord. And he said, yeah, but she gave everything that she had. And I'm telling you that if you give what you have in faith and obedience and you do it as unto him and you do it for him, God will take it and he will bless it and he will break it and he will give the increase and he will say that you are fruitful. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Paul addresses this. He says, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. I, I thought about this when I was studying for this. I thought about when I went to Jackson and I was in the music department. I, was, I got my degree in music. And musicianship. Mm, musicianship. I still get chills and maybe even a hive or two when I think about musicianship. Because musicianship did not come naturally to me. Now, the vocal stuff, no problem. But when I had to go in there and plod through, I had to spend hours in the practice room and bless God I think the Lord smiled on my sea and he said awesome job and there were some that walked in there that it wasn't a problem they didn't even have to study they just went in there and played it and did it but did they give their best did they give everything they could give and I ask you that today what are you doing with what you've been given? You talked about faithfulness. And this morning, the Lord woke me up and said, you got to go add something else. I was like, oh, God, you gotta, you're going to have to help me because i got a lot to do before I get to church this morning. 
But I said, I'm doing, I'll do it, Lord, I'll do it, I'll do it. I went down and I began to look because he said, I want you to tell them that what they do will be counted unto them for righteousness. And I began to do a study of that very quickly. And it said that Phineas stood for what was right and stayed the plague. And it was counted to him for righteousness for all his generations. Abraham believed God and was faithful, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Rahab, she hid the people of God and sent those looking for them another way. And the scripture says that was counted for her to righteousness and for the generations behind her. I'm saying to you, Judy, I said it to you this morning. Judy, you do those cinnamon rolls, that's counted to you for righteousness. I believe, I believe that what we do in faith and obedience, it is counted to you for righteousness. You may not understand the effect. You may not understand what's coming forth, but you leave that up to God. You give it, you give it, you give it, and let him take care of the rest. Galatians 6, 9, and I close with this says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It doesn't say in due season we shall reap if we did the, went to the head of the class. If we did better than everybody else and we had more jobs than everyone and everybody knew how busy we were and how much we were doing. No, that's not what it says. It says if we faint not. It speaks of faithfulness and obedience to doing what we know to do. For all the negative things that we have to say to ourselves, God has positive answers. You say it's impossible, but God says what is impossible with men is possible with God. You say, I'm too tired And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You say, nobody really loves me. And he says, I love so love the world that I gave my only begotten son. You say, I can't go on. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. And you say, I can't figure things out. And he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You say, I can't do it. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You say it's not worth it, but he says we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And you say, I cannot forgive myself. And he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. You say, I cannot manage. And he says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. And you say, I'm afraid. 
And he said, yeah, that spirit of fear doesn't come from God. He has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want you to know that you are on God's radar and you're in good ground when you walk in obedience and faith. And the results will come. Let's bless his name. Lord Jesus.